Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Scripture teaches us that the way that we worship the Lord is not only through our songs and through coming together on a Sunday morning, but that we worship the Lord in our everyday living. In a paraphrase of Romans 12 from the message, it says that we take our everyday living, the little things and the big things, and we give them all to God as an offering, a sacrifice unto Him. And over the last few, uh, starting last week and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about an area where we can worship the Lord in a way that brings glory and honor to Him and allows the world outside to see how great He is. Now, a lot of times when people talk about marriage or think about marriage, they don't think about relationships or marriages being a place to worship the Lord. But the truth is, Scripture teaches us that one of the most important places that we worship is in our marriage. In fact, the most important example that I will set for the world, for my sons, and for my wife is in the way that I relate to her. On Sunday mornings, I can get up and give a great sermon and a great message and speak from God's Word. But if I'm not living that out in my relationship with Susan, then what I have said is really null and void. And the truth is that we must learn to worship the Lord through our lives. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue a series that I started last week called Home Improvement. And we talked about all the home improvement TV shows that are out there now and how people are always looking to improve their homes. And last week we talked about a high-definition marriage with high-definition love and high-definition forgiveness and high-definition unselfishness. Well, today we're going to talk about how to keep that, that, that marriage, that relationship together by checking the lines of communication. We're going to talk about communication a little bit. Isn't it amazing the kind of communication world we live in? I mentioned my phone a couple of weeks ago, but on my hip is a phone that at any moment I could get a phone call, an email, a text message, a multimedia message, and probably something else I don't know I can get on it. In fact, yesterday, Jake tested how fast I could find the delete button on my phone. Jake attended the... What do they call it? A-Day, whatever, something. The Alabama spring football game. And he sent me a picture of the stadium on his way in. I don't know why. He must have thought I needed some discouragement. I don't know. I didn't need that kind of message. But communication has evolved. I mean, if I think about it, from the time even when I was in high school, the only one of those methods that, that we could have used on a phone was... Uh, a phone. We didn't have text, email, multimedia. We didn't have any of that. And so as our world has evolved in communication, there are more chances that our communication will be misinterpreted. Perhaps you heard the story of a couple that was getting ready to celebrate their 30th wedding anniversary. They lived in Michigan. And on their 30th wedding anniversary, they wanted to go back to the spot they had gone on their honeymoon. And so they scheduled a night or a week in Florida. Well, because of travel schedules and some work things, the husband was going to have to go down a little earlier than the wife. And so he boarded the plane from Michigan, snow on the ground, and heads down to Florida. And he gets to Florida, and he gets into the room, and everything's set up wonderfully, and he's so excited about what's going to happen over the next few days, and his wife coming down, he decides he's going to send her an email. 
So he fishes through his pockets and he can't find the slip of paper he had written her email down on because he had not really done email much. And so finally he says, you know what, I think I remember it. And so he types in the email address and he sends it. The problem is he missed one letter. And so instead of going to his wife in Michigan, it went to a pastor's wife in Texas. And this pastor's wife had a particularly difficult couple of days, mainly because her husband had recently passed away. And on returning from the funeral home, she sat down at her computer, saw she had several emails, people offering support, but one called her attention. It said, to my loving wife. So she sat down, and this is what it said. Dearest wife, just checked in. Everything is great. In fact, we have everything prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Your loving husband. P.S. It sure is hot down here. (laughs) A little mistake, right? The truth is, if we're not careful, little mistakes can become big ones. If you look at all the marriage research and all the things that are out there, one of the biggest problems in marriage today is communication. Couples come in for counseling and they talk and they begin the discussion and something will be said and one of them will say, we just don't talk like we used to. Do you remember when we were dating and we used to just go sit outside and talk? It just seems like we don't communicate like we did in the past. It just seems like we don't talk like we used to. And there are barriers in relationships to communication. I mean, there's the schedule issue. We're running from one place to another. We've got things tied up and we just don't have time. In fact, I saw a study recently that said that if people could, they were asked what they would buy if money was no object. And at the top of that list, people said they would buy more time in a day. The second thing that gets in our way sometimes is children. Sometimes TV gets in our way. There's just too much entertainment options. Sometimes the fear of conflict, that if you say what you're thinking, that conflict will ensue, so you just avoid it. But I think part of what the differences is, or what the problem is, is that there are differences between men and women. Amen? Amen? There are differences. There just are. There, men are different than women. And so we're going to look at three differences that can cause problems in relationships before we get into the Scripture this morning. First of all, the first thing that we need to understand is that men are hunters, women are hinters. Men are hunters, women are hinters. Guys like to know what the goal is, the time frame, and to go accomplish it. I remember the difference between going shopping with my mom and with my dad. My dad is not a shopper at all. My mom is a shopper completely. With mom, we would walk through four or five different stores looking at different outfits, trying on different things, no matter who was being shopped for, and then we would decide after all of that which store to go back to to purchase the outfit that we needed. My dad would call ahead to Maynard's Men's Shop to mow. Then Mo sound like a name of a guy at a men's shop? Mo, and he would say, Mo, I need a shirt and a pair of pants. He would walk in, Mo would have them hanging up, he'd give him the check, he'd walk out. Just the difference. Well, the same is true for the most part in communication. 
Men are usually straight to the point. Women like to hint around things. I remember being in a nearly a newlywed class in, in uh, Texas shortly after Susan and I had been married. And the teacher there was a marriage counselor professor. He said, you think I ought to know these things. But he was talking about driving around Fort Worth one day around the loop and they were driving around running errands all over the place. And his wife said to him, you know what? You look like you might be thirsty. No. I'm good. So he drove around a little bit longer. She said, you sure you're not thirsty? No, really. I'm good. He said, finally, after we're about to go home, she said, I really need something to drink. He said, why didn't you say something? She said, I did three times. Let me tell you a couple of things real quick. Guys, we've got to be better at catching hints. Women, we're not going to get better at catching hints. (laughs) Just a little note, all right? But you need to understand those kind of things. You need to be willing to kind of talk through it and find out what's going on. Another pastor was talking about that with his wife. His day off was Monday. And that he would, every Monday morning, his wife would say, what are you doing today? And he would give her a list of things he was doing. He said, I realized after about six months, she didn't care what I was doing. She was offering me the opportunity to say to her, what can I do for you? Just a little hint that he had to catch. We need to understand that if we're going to communicate. Here's the second thing. Men are solvers. Women are censors. This is something that I still work on regularly. Susan will come to me with some issue, something going on, and in my mind, I immediately got a four-step process. Right, guys, you with me? Somebody talks, you got well, we can do this and we can do that. And there'll be times Susan will say, I don't need to have you solve it. I just need you to listen. One pastor told of his daughter getting ready to try out for the praise team in the youth. The youth had a praise team at this church, and she was getting ready to try out. She had practiced for weeks for this audition. And she said to him, I'm going to try out this weekend. I wish you would come up and just listen and tell me what you think. So he went up, and he sat down, and she sang through, and he said, as typical male, I said, well, I'll tell you what, that was pretty good. Let me tell you a couple of things you could do to make it even better. And she said, Daddy, I didn't want to know what I could do better. I just wanted you to listen. You know where I see this more often than not? It's on a little television show called American Idol. Anybody ever watch American Idol? It's okay to confess in church. I do. And on American Idol, there are three judges, right? There is Randy, Paula, and Simon. And when they get through singing, Randy and Simon are always quick to give their pointers, their constructive criticism, what's gone on, what's wrong. Simon will tell them that was horrible, that was awful, whatever. This is what you need to do. Paula, the lady, will hint around and just tell them, you look beautiful. You've never looked better. There were definitely some parts that were good about that. She includes emotion and those kind of things. Here's a third thing. Men are tight-lipped. Women are talkers. Now, here's scientific study. I don't know who did this, but this is what scientists say. Men, on average, speak 12,000 words a day. Women, on average, speak 24,000 words a day. Now, here's where the problem ensues. 
Most men spend about 11,580 at work every day. That leaves them 420 when they get home. The women still have a lot left over from the reservoir of the day. If you want to see how this is in play, you just look at two men or two women talking with each other. Think about, if you will, if two women, one woman, uh, they meet each other, they hadn't seen each other in a couple of days, and one of the women has gotten a haircut in the meantime. The conversations, you get a haircut? Yes, well, it looks great. It makes your neck look great. I haven't seen you look that good in years. Who's your hairdresser? Well, I went to this new place. Well, is she good? Well, how much does she charge? Well, would I kind of... And before long, you've got a 30-minute conversation about a haircut. You see two guys. Did you get your haircut? Yeah. That's it. Women are talkers. Men are tight-lipped. I heard a, a guy named Charles Lowry one time talk about this with his wife and how he had to get over this issue. And he said, what really, uh, he said, one day I thought I was really going to get her. He said, because every day, some of you may have heard this story, every day my, my wife would, would come home and if I had talked to my mom that day on the phone, she'd say, well, what would you talk about? And he'd say, I'd tell her, oh, not much. Just whatever. He said, he said, the things that my mom and I talked about on the phone were not important things. They were about Aunt so-and-so and Miss Susie and what happened to so-and-so's ingrown toenail last week at the market and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't think it was important. He said, but the problem would be two or three days later, somebody would come up and say, did you hear about so-and-so and what happened in their family? She said, oh, yeah, my mom told me that. And my wife would go, when did she tell you that? So he said, one day I decided I was going to write down everything my mom said. I got on the phone, I got my pad out, I got my pen, and I wrote down every word. Miss so-and-so's this, the ingrown tone out the market, that, every word about it. Six pages on a legal pad of everything my mom said. My wife came in, she said, what did your mom have to say? Let me tell you. Flipped out the legal pad. He said, I read through six pages of notes. When I got done, I closed it and I said, what did you think about that? She said, can you do that for me every time? Men are tight-lipped, women are talkers. So how do we get over that? How do we communicate with one another? Look at Ephesians chapter 4. It should be up on the screen. It's, uh, look at it in your scriptures. You probably want to write some things down around it. This is really not to husbands and wives. It's, it's before that, that part of scripture, but it can be used for any relationship. But it's especially true in a marital relationship. Verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For you are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, Paul starts laying out some practical implications of who Christ is and what He's done in our lives. It's the application section. And as he gets to this, he focuses at the end of chapter 4, before he moves into chapter 5, on what we need to do to communicate. And he gives all of these examples. And we're just going to walk through a few of these examples of what we can do, whether it's in our home relationship, whether it's in our friendships, whether it's in relationships within the family, outside the family, in the church, what are some ways that we can communicate better? Here's the first thing we see from this passage of Scripture. First of all, honesty is the best policy. Honesty is the best policy. 
That's one of those statements that you make and you know you've heard it for year after year after year. But the truth is, honesty is the best policy. Verse 25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Speak truthfully. The thing is, as a nation, we have a problem telling the truth. In a study recently, 65% of people said it's okay to lie sometimes. 52% said that lying is never justified, and so those two don't add up. But the truth is that what you have is this idea that it's okay to lie sometimes. I read an interesting story this morning uh, catching up on some of the news of the day that uh, the, the racer that won the NASCAR race last night didn't know if he was going to make it on fuel. thought he might run out of fuel. And apparently the crew chief wasn't sure he was, but he kept telling him it was okay, you're going to make it on fuel. Just keep driving, it's okay, you're going to make it on fuel. And then he told him he had a 20-second lead when his lead was only 10 seconds. And this was the interesting thing I read in that story. These are two guys that are upstanding, respectable people in their sport. And at the story was concluding, they asked the driver, Jimmy Johnson, if he thought it was okay that his crew chief did that. And he says, you know what? I think it's okay. He said, those white lies help us to win, so it's okay for him to lie. Now, I know that's a NASCAR race. But the truth is, those little white lies may have helped him earn more money than some of us will earn this year. But the point of it is that we live in a nation where if the, if the end is okay, then getting there by lying is fine too. There's a book that's written called The Day America Told the Truth. And in that book they found that 91% of people routinely lie about trivial matters. In fact, when they ask, who do you lie to? 86% of teenagers said they lie to their parents. 75% said they lie to their friends. 73% said they lie to their siblings. And in a husband and wife relationship, 69% said they lie to their spouses on a regular basis. It's important for us to speak the truth. Scripture teaches us that the Lord is a God of truth. Not just absolute truth, that He has things that are true, but that He is a God that always speaks the truth. When it talks about His enemy, He says that the Satan, the deceiver, the enemy, the devil, is the father of all lies. We've got to learn to speak the truth. Look at Proverbs 12, 22. It says in the NIV, The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in men who are truthful. Here's why lying is such a problem. First of all, it pushes us away from God. God cannot be around falsehood, around deception. It's getting to be the springtime of the year. Things are blooming everywhere. Well, it's supposed to be spring. I think it's supposed to snow tonight, but it's supposed to be spring, right? By the way, our first church league softball game may get snowed out tomorrow night. That's encouraging for us that are playing. But it's spring, and spring comes blooms and beautiful flowers, beautiful trees. You know the biggest problem with all the blooming that happens? Allergies. How many of you here have allergies? Let me see your hands. We're going to form a support group right now. 
you know, you go to bed at night, you're a little stopped up, you wake up, you got to clear it out in the morning, all that kind of stuff going on. Well, here's the reaction. The truth is that allergies are caused by some system or some, some thing, pollen or something out there, that is foreign to your body. When it gets into your body, your body attacks it to try to get rid of it, right? I know that's a real basic definition, but that's what happens. Well, falsehood, lying, is like an allergy to God. He just can't be around it or stand it. And so it distances us from Him. It also separates us from each other. We can't be around each other. And no matter, no matter how close you think you are, if there is falsehood, if there is deception, if there is untruth in the midst of your relationship, there is distance. And it's self-destructive. Now here's what we've got to do if we're going to implement honesty in our relationships, in our friendships, whatever it is. The two-step process is found in verse 25. We must put off falsehood. We must get rid of falsehood. We must get rid of lying. We must get rid of all the things in our lives that are not true. We must get rid of all the things that we put into our, 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 our spouse's mind that are not true, into our friend's mind, into our church members' minds that aren't true. And then the second part of that is we must speak the truth. There are times when in relationships we decide not to speak because we think if we don't speak, everything will turn out better. But the truth is sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to speak the truth. Here's the message paraphrase of that passage from 425. It says, what this adds up to then is this. No more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other. After all, when you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. We must realize that honesty is the best policy. Here's the second thing we must realize if we're going to do good communication is that we've got to learn to harness the heat. We've got to learn to harness the heat. Look what it says in verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Now, I think in the original, or not the original, in the King James Version, that it says, be angry and sin not. Now, the idea there is that there are times in our lives when we are going to get angry. Amen? I mean, there are times in relationships when there is going to be some anger. Some righteous, some allowed, some not righteous, some unrighteous. And we've got to learn, whatever relationship we're in, when we're communicating with one another, we've got to learn how to harness that heat. You see, most people don't handle anger well. And at some point over the next few months or next years, whenever, some point God's going to lead us to do a sermon series or a sermon on anger in Scripture. Because it's there. It tells us in Scripture that Jesus got angry. It tells us right here that we can be angry as long as we don't sin. The problem is most of us don't handle anger well. In fact, there's one of four ways that most of us handle anger. At some point I'm going to say hangle-ander, but I don't know what that means. There's four ways that we can handle anger. The first is what I call the toxic waste approach. We just bury it. And we keep on burying it, and we keep on burying it, and we keep on burying it. And the truth is, the longer you bury it, it stays down there. And before long, it starts to turn rotten and sour. And it's like toxic waste. That 
causes everything to ruin. Some of you are like that. You don't ever let it be known. You just, you just bury it. You just bury it. Eventually, that will destroy you. Here's the second thing. Not only some of you are toxic wasters, some of you are volcanoes. You try to bury it. You try to put it underground. And as you do, it just begins to boil and boil and boil. And before long, you've buried it long enough that when it's time to erupt, there is a major eruption. The picture of a volcano, that anger just stirs in there, and then suddenly there may be a little leaking here and there, but suddenly it's just a violent eruption. Many of you probably remember when Mount St. Helens erupted, right? Out west. And it said that there was ash from that all the way to the Mississippi River. That's a long way. But it's as it erupted. Some of you are the snow cone. You just get cold. You just get mad. And I'm just not going to talk to them anymore. You turn the cold shoulder. You go and lock yourself in a room. You get away from it. You just do whatever you can. You just say, I'm getting away from it. Here's the problem. That really isn't solving anything. Now, I understand sometimes you have to cool off, but you don't have to go into freezer mode, right? Here's the last one is, some of you are the microwave. Aren't microwaves great inventions? Put some uh, frozen chicken nuggets in there in a minute. You've got them cooked, ready for you. Here's the thing people love about microwaves is that they're instant. They're fast. It happens very quickly. Some of you, in your anger, it doesn't take much to set you off. You've got a short fuse. And something happens, and before long, it's already that, that, that timer's going off, that ding is happening, and you're exploding with anger. None of those are the proper way to handle it. Let me give you what the proper way to handle it is. It's this. In order to not sin in our anger, we must acknowledge it, explain it, and release it. We must acknowledge that it's there. Admit that what's going on. We must explain to whoever we're angry with or with ourselves why we're angry about it. Now we're going to talk a little bit next week about conflict resolution and how we do that in a proper way. But the truth is that we must allow people to know that there's some anger there and then we must release it. We must release it. We must acknowledge that anger is there. We must explain it to those around us and then we must just release it. The message paraphrase from this part says, Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge and don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. One of the things that passage of Scripture teaches us is that if we remain angry, if we let it stay within us, then we are giving the enemy an opportunity to set up an encampment. Giving us the opportunity to let Him move in. Here's a third thing out of this passage in communication. Not only do we do the best to do honest work, not only do we talk about being angry and sinning, not harnessing the heat, but we must refuse to use rotten language. Verse 9, or excuse me, 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now the word unwholesome there means Rotten, spoiled, ruined. 
It's been a while now, but I remember an incident in our house where I went to the refrigerator one day, pulled out a gallon of milk. It was in that yellow container that's supposed to keep it fresh. It had a date on it that was three days after the date that it currently was. I took it. I poured it into a glass. I had me a couple of Oreo cookies. I was ready to dip it in there, but before I was going to dip, I was going to take a little drink of the milk, put it to my mouth and drink it, and it was rotten. As my granddad says, spolt. It's root. It was not any good. Anybody ever been there? Ever had a glass? The truth is that we understand what rotten means. It's not good. It's not healthy in any way. But what Scripture is teaching us here is that we don't be a part of rotten language. Now, I'm not talking here about cursing or using bad words, although that's part of it. But I want to expand our mind to understand what unwholesome talk really means. And so there are six things that are listed, or you have place to list. I want you to list these six things about what unwholesome talk really is. First of all, unwholesome talk is gossip. Now here's what gossip means. Let me give you my definition of gossip and what I think is a proper understanding of gossip. Is that gossip is sharing damaging information about someone or something, whether it is true or not. Sharing damaging information about someone or something, whether it is true or not. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, I'm going to tell you something, and I might not ought to, but it's true, so I'm going to go ahead. That's gossip. If you're telling something that is damaging about someone else, whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter if it's not true. If it's true or if it's not true, and you're passing on some information that is damaging to someone else, that is gossip. I've said this before, but in Baptist churches, we have a problem sometimes with passing on information so we can pray more intelligently about someone when all that really is is gossip. Now, here's the second thing it's slander. Here's the difference between gossip and slander. Gossip is sharing damaging information about someone or something, whether it's true or not. Slander is sharing damaging information about someone or something, true or not, with the intention of hurting them. Scripture says we shouldn't let any unwholesome talk come out. That means gossip. That means slander where we say, you're not going to believe what I just heard. With your intent is for the people to think worse of whoever it is you're talking about. You'll notice gossip doesn't have any intention. It's just sharing information. Slander has that intention. Here's the third thing, murmuring. You know, there are just some words in the English language that sound like their definition. Right? The word buzz sounds like a buzz. Murmuring sounds like what murmuring is. The classic example in Scripture are the Israelites. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that every time you turned around, they were murmuring about something, just talking amongst themselves, not necessarily complaining, just talking, second-guessing. That murmuring might be understood best as second-guessing because, you know, Moses was leading the people out of, the, out of Egypt into the Promised Land, and the whole time he dealt with groups of people that were going, I just don't think it can happen. Well, I hope it does. 
I hope he's right. But we'll see what happens when he fails. Not necessarily saying that this person is wrong or not good. It's just that murmuring. Now, what happens is when murmuring is coupled with the next one, which is criticism, then you have this duo of things working together. And that's what happened in Israel. Not only were they murmuring about, I just don't know that it will happen, I don't know if this is good, but they suddenly start to criticize, why did you bring us out here? You brought us out here knowing that we were going to die. You should have just left us where we were. And suddenly you have this kind of uh, sea of things coming together and people just bringing up unwholesome talk. The truth is, we're at a very important juncture in the life of our church. A couple of weeks ago, I presented a vision for what I think God is going to do. We're going to have a business meeting next week where we're going to talk about voting on some of that. We are going to vote on some of that. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that business meeting at the end of the service. But the truth is that in the midst of that, as we move forward, there are going to be moment after moment when everyone in this room is going to have the opportunity to murmur and complain. There are going to be moments when everybody in this room has the chance to murmur and criticize. And the question is, are you going to be, are we going to be a church? Are we going to be a church of murmuring and criticism and complaining? Are we going to be a church that looks forward to what God is doing? Scripture teaches that murmuring and criticism are not what God intends for His people. Two other things real quickly about unwholesome talk. Conclusion jumping. Now the technical word for that is beguilement, but I didn't have a clue what that meant. So I looked it up and it meant jumping to conclusions. So it's conclusion jumping. You can write beguilement if it makes you feel better. If you know how to spell it. But the idea is that you just hear a little piece of information and you make the next step. I know none of us ever do that. Joseph Stowell, who's a pastor up in Chicago, was talking about one night he walked out into his front yard and there on his front yard were empty beer cans everywhere. Apparently someone down the street had had a little party and they decided to dump all their beer cans in his yard. So he went out and he collected the beer cans and he put it in the garbage can and he went to work that day. And as he got to work, he sat down and he thought, you know what? The garbage men may come by my house. And they may go get that stuff and they may take it out and they may know that that's the pastor of this church out there. And in his garbage can is a bunch of beer cans. And that guy may call somebody that goes to this church and say, did you know your pastor must have had a wild party last night? There are beer cans all in his garbage can. And that member may call his Sunday school class and they may talk about the fact that the pastor apparently is throwing wild parties at his house. And there are beer cans everywhere. They're all over the front yard that day and some of them made it to the garbage can. And that Sunday school class is going to go to the deacon board and they're going to tell them, you know what, we got to talk to this pastor because he's having people, not even church people, other people over and they're having big wild parties at his house and they got beer cans everywhere and all the neighbors are complaining about it. You see how things kind of grow? Just jumping to conclusions. Here's the truth. We can't make a conclusion until we've got all the evidence. And here's the last one, boasting. Unwholesome talk is not just saying a certain number of words that we deem wrong. Unwholesome talk involves gossip and slander and murmuring and criticism and conclusion jumping and then just boasting, being untruthful. Exaggerating 
who we are. Well, here's the last thing if we're going to have effective communication. Is that we must choose to build. Choose to build. Look what it says at the end of verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We must choose to build. A couple of weeks ago we talked about Nehemiah, and I talked about one of my favorite parts of that story is at the end of Nehemiah, or towards the end of Nehemiah when Sanballat comes up and is telling him all these things that are happening and they're trying to tear him down and to pull him down. And he just continues to say, we're doing a great work, we're not going to come down. And he says that five times. And the whole point is that they're just continuing to choose to build. Let me ask you, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your family, in your friendships, in your church life, and all of that stuff, what are you choosing to do with your words? Are you choosing to build or are you choosing to tear? The truth is words have a very powerful effect. They have a powerful effect on your life. Ephesians 4.29 in the message, puts it this way. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word a gift. Now the truth is that what I like about that passage is that it reminds us that every word, every moment, we have an opportunity to give a gift. You know one of my favorite names in all of Scripture is? is the name Barnabas. That's one of those names that's kind of gone out of style. Nobody names their kid Barnabas anymore. I don't know a Barnabas in my life. But you know what the name Barnabas means? Son of encouragement. In fact, Barnabas was not his real name. That was his nickname. They saw how much he helped and how much he built up, and they said, you know what, that guy over there, he is the biggest encourager we know. That's old Barnabas, the son of encouragement. That guy knows how to encourage. Now let me tell you, any church that has the church full of Barnabases is going to do a great work for the Lord. Encouraging people, encouraging them to seek God's best, to go after it. You know, the reality is there are times in our lives when we all mess up. Amen? If you've messed up this week, let me see your hand. I just want to be encouraged again. We've all messed up, right? And the truth is, most of us know when we mess up. I would dare say that most of us in this room know when we mess up better than anybody else knows when we mess up. And so it's about the time... There there are times that I need somebody to come up to me and go, Lyle, you messed up. There are times that I need Susan to say, Lyle, you messed up. There are times I need some of you to say, Lyle, you messed up. But more often than not, when I mess up, I know I messed up. And what I really need is for somebody to say, I'm with you. You're doing a great work. I love you. You're doing something wonderful for the Lord. Keep going. Keep at it. Don't let anything discourage you. And the truth is we need to learn to build instead of tear down. Communication is an important part of marriage, but it's an important part of all things. It's an important part of our lives. It's an important part of of our relationships with friends, with church members, with everybody. And the truth is, if we're not doing communication well, then we're not doing relationships well. If you're not communicating well in your marriage, you don't have a good marriage. If you're not communicating well with your kids, then you're not doing as good of a job as a parent as you should. 
Communication is vital. And this morning, we're going to have a moment of invitation like we do at the end of the service. And I know we haven't talked towards salvation or church membership. And maybe the Lord's laid that on your heart this morning and you're going to come for that. But perhaps in your heart, the Lord has dealt with you in one of these areas. Maybe it's that, that you're not honest as you should be. Maybe it's not that, you're, that, that you're, you're, your honesty is not as high level as it ought to be. And this morning, the Lord is just convicting you of that. Perhaps this morning, it's not honesty that's a problem, but you don't handle anger well. It's one of those things, as I mentioned, those different types of anger, that as soon as I mentioned one and described it, you just felt that pain in your heart. That's me. And there's some issue that you need to deal with that's out there that you know that you've been angry about, you've been burying, you've been erupting over, you've been too quick to get angry about, and you need to settle that this morning. You need to acknowledge, explain, and release. For some of you, it's unwholesome talk that's been in your mouth. When Isaiah came into the presence of the Lord, he said, I am a sinful man. I have a man of unclean lips. And perhaps for you, one of those unwholesome talks is what's true in your life. And you need to get that settled. Perhaps for you, it's just that you're not an encourager. And this morning, the Lord is laying on your heart. That in your marriage, in your relationships, and who you are and what you're living, you need to encourage people more. I don't know what God wants to do in your life. I know this. We've had a great morning of singing His praises and worshiping Him. And if your heart is set on worshiping Him, He will speak to you. And we've talked about communication, some very practical issues. But the truth is, the way you worship the Lord best is by living out His love and your relationship with each other. This morning, maybe the Lord is speaking to you in a way to be specific about some ways that you can encourage one another, that you can speak well to one another, that you can be honest with one another. Perhaps there are husbands and wives here today that just need to recommit their lives to better communication. When I talked about at the front those things that could get in the way, you realized you haven't communicated like you ought to. And this morning you say it is time to get back to that communication.